Now let us go back to Nazareth to Joseph. Let us see how Joseph was faring after Mary had run away from her parents and himself. Joseph had been wondering what had happened to Mary, but there is a certain level in which he trusted her. But he was lonely. He missed his betrothed. He missed his beloved. He had always seen her every day ever since she had moved in with her parents to Nazareth. Now she is suddenly gone and there's no way that he could contact her. Then one day his best friend Samuel the trader returned from Joseph sorry returned from Jerusalem and called on Joseph. I think the carpenter said I notice a change in you Samuel. Joseph noticed that there's something different about his best friend Samuel. Before he used to look so crude and unkempt, though honest and sincere, but now he looked different. Samuel replied, "No, I'm just the same." "Let be then," said Joseph. Then Samuel persisted. Please Joseph, what kind of change did you think you saw in me? Well then, if you will not be offended, said Joseph. Samuel said, I promised not to be. Then Joseph said, your speech has changed for one thing. You no longer sound like a Nazarene. Samuel grunted smugly. Far from being offended, he was flattered. Of course, he agreed. In the big city in Jerusalem, they laugh at the way we talk. Now I'm talking like those people there in Jerusalem. I've changed my accent so that I will be accepted more by them. There are some of those people in Jerusalem who can even tell a man from Lower Galilee from a man from Upper Galilee just by his accent. In Jerusalem, you soon learn to talk as other educated persons do. Joseph nodded, not without admiration. Like most country people, he disliked the vices and evils of the metropolis of the city of Jerusalem. Yet he took a certain proprietary pride in its vastness and busyness. He liked to think that he understood the best and the worst about the great place. Is it only my accent that has changed? asked Samuel carefully. Joseph shook his head slowly. It is a little more than that. When you lived here in Nazareth, you were a merchant and you acted like one, even when away from the bazaar. And how does a merchant act? smiled Samuel. Joseph answered very politely, Samuel. His voice is low and trustworthy. If it were not, the customers would distrust him. And there is a kindly look in his eyes. Samuel began to laugh. He enjoyed talking to his best friend Joseph, even though the two of them are so different from one another. Samuel continued, 
and now I come back looking like a criminal, is that it? He gave a large grin. Joseph again shook his head. You don't look like a ruffian at all, Samuel, but you do look hunted and furtive and secretive and frightened. Samuel instantly became serious. There is never a moment when I am not in fear of my life. Go on working, Joseph. No reason for you to lose a day's earnings because I am here. But let me talk to you a little while you do your sawing and chiseling. The last time I talked to you, I thought I knew all about the wickedness of Reb Naman. But now, who is Reb Naman? asked Joseph innocently. Samuel cupped his hands around his mouth and whispered in his friend's ear, King Herod, we never dare mention his real name when we talk. The sound of that name in your mouth will bring a spy to your elbow instantly. If they misunderstand you, it may cost you your life. So we never mention him except in code. Joseph, his deeds would shame a tiger. Then Joseph said in a sad tone, More beast than man then, is King Herod. He put aside his tools and sat down for a moment on a sawhorse. Oh, don't underestimate him, cried Samuel. He is a brilliant leader. Herod, you call such a man brilliant? asked Joseph, thoroughly shocked, for he had heard of the evil and corrupt and vile things that Herod had done. The truth must be told even about Beelzebub himself, said Samuel. Herod has brains. He has a kind of military genius, and he has bravery. But he has the hardest heart, the most unused conscience this side of Sheol, he and his ghastly sister. You mean the one they call Salome, asked Joseph hesitantly. The same, replied Samuel. They work together in a kind of satanic partnership to increase the misery of our people. Imagine, he is 59 years old with nine wives. Nine wives, groaned Joseph. Nine wives, indeed. And only God knows how many concubines, snarled Samuel. There was a moment's silence and then Samuel came nearer Joseph, towering above him and clamped both palms on his shoulders. Joseph, he cried, hasn't the time come for you to change your mind? How goes it with you? The last time I was here, you were mooning about marrying some girl you had never met. But I see by the look of the premises that no one lives here but you. You're still a bachelor. Her father refused you then. Come with me to Jerusalem. She accepted me, protested Joseph, leaping to his feet. We are to be married in a few days. Samuel looked incredulously. A few days, you mean that? Yes, we set the time almost three months ago today. Then where is she? asked Samuel. Where is the excitement? Where are the wedding preparations? Joseph looked distressed. 
You see, Samuel, he explained, she has a cousin who has not been in the best of health. She went to see that cousin. I'm expecting her back any day. Even though Joseph had been hurt by Mary's leaving him the way she did, he still protected her honor and dignity. Samuel said, you're still hard to figure out. But look here, Joseph, I am with a caravan that rests in Nazareth tonight. We are taking, along with our merchandise, a troop of Roman minstrels who will make a tour of eastern cities singing the Roman songs. Come down with me this evening to the campfire. We'll have a good time together. We'll talk of everything. Let's have supper together and sing a few songs for old time's sake and talk more about our affairs. Will you do that? Sunset found Joseph at the camp with his friend Samuel by a small fire of dry twigs. They ate bread and cheese and listened to the roistering voices of the minstrels who sang to the accompaniment of a stringed instrument on which the musician played with little padded hammers. After the loneliness of the last weeks, Joseph felt good to be with his best friend again. One of the poets sang an ode of Pindar, the lyric poet of Greece. Another chanted on dinosaurs, the god of wine and the drama, who had changed his name to Bacchus and made himself a Roman. Pagan songs, yarns, and dithyrams about the gods of Rome and how they mated with mortal women, breeding half-gods who always stirred up a lot of trouble in the world. Now you're hearing something, gloated Samuel, not those sickening old psalms. Did you hear that song of the god and the woman? Yes, said Joseph. These men are simply pagans, worshippers of false gods in whom they do not believe anyway. But their gods are not real. Their stories are false. They are just inventions. The singers themselves laugh at them. Of course, Joseph, said Samuel. And does that not have a personal meaning for you? I do not follow Samuel. You must speak clearly, said Joseph. Didn't you tell me a year ago that you would not fight for the freedom of the people? I remember, said Joseph. But do you remember what reason you gave me? Joseph replied, certainly, I said, we must put our trust in the promises of God. And he promised to send a deliverer, wasn't that it? Asked Samuel. Right, said Joseph, who was to be God's own son and born of a virgin. Am I not now quoting the prophecies? Yes, Samuel, you are, said Joseph. And it is on those very prophecies that you were relying? Yes, replied Joseph. Well then, Samuel crept forward. He was lying on his stomach, his vast legs lost in the shadow. But his face, resting on his palms, was reddened by the fire. Can't you see, Joseph, that it is all just an old wives' tale told in every language? 
Every silly religion teaches the same thing. You talk to the Hindus from India and the Iranians from Persia, or for that matter, talk to the Greeks. They all have the same the same story of gods having children by mortal women. He paused, and when Joseph did not speak, he prodded his friend, "Don't you see? See what?" Joseph was showing unexpected stubbornness. Samuel replied that you are making your decision on a fairy tale. You are believing in a universal nonsense. Joseph leaned forward and now the light was on his face. I believe in universal truth, he replied, with the same tranquil conviction that had always annoyed Samuel with its force. Even though some people worship these false gods and believe in myths, the Messiah will not come just for our people, but for all, for everybody. How's that, Joseph? said Samuel. Watch yourself. You will be uttering a blasphemy. The two men laughed. But Joseph finished what he had to say. God is not just a little kingling like Herod. Not just a God of our people alone. He is a God of every people, every human being living in this world. No matter what others believe, I am sure the Messiah will come not only to us, but to the Romans, the Hindus, the Persians, as well as everybody else. Samuel clocked his tongue. I think that is both nonsense and blasphemy, he sighed. There's something rather pretty about it, though. It would be glorious if anybody could believe it. Our people have believed it for a long time, said Joseph. Oh, I know, said Samuel. I went to school as well as you, Joseph. I'll admit that I wasn't so interested. I remember that God made the promise to redeem the race of Adam after the flood. Joseph cut in earnestly. Was there ever a time in history when we needed the Messiah more? The Messiah has become an obsession with you, objected Samuel. And with too many other people, it is what is holding us back. I will admit that we need a leader. I went to Jerusalem to join the revolutionary movement and was ready to put my services at the command of someone who could use them. But I could find no real leader of the resistance. That is what we have to have. We want a superior military genius. Do you expect your messiah to be a great general? Joseph shook his head. I fear, he smiled, that you are incorrigible. You want a soldier messiah, said Joseph. That is so he can attack Herod throughout his soldiers and the Romans. A puny country like Palestine against the empire of Rome. That is a man-sized undertaking even for a messiah. But still not enough for you. After he has thrown out the foreigners, put Herod and his supporters to death, he will then have to tranquilize our own people and unify them. After a military genius, you want next a messiah who is also a political master. Before long, you will be asking for a great financier too. Joseph laughed softly at his own words. 
perhaps not you Samuel but a great many expect the Messiah to be all those things and more and I fear that they will be greatly disappointed because I do not think he will be any of them and what do you think he will be like then In the waiting silence, a driver, suddenly befouled by the beast he had just fed, screeched a malediction on the whole tribe and swearing that when God had finished designing all the other animals, he made camels from the scraps. And then before Joseph could answer Samuel, a hand was thrust from the darkness behind him. and tapped the carpenter on the shoulder startled he turned swiftly looking up into the face of jehoiakim the hand that had tapped him on the shoulder was jo- jehoiakim he had been searching for joseph peace be with you said the young man joseph and he's aware of sudden fear And the Lord be with you Joseph said Jehoiakim I came over here to ask you to come to your shop Mary is there waiting for you she says she wants to talk with you at once alone Joseph sensed that something is wrong Mary had come back but she wanted to talk to him and his future father-in-law seemed worried He seemed preoccupied. It does not look as if he's happy that Mary has arrived. Something must still be wrong. The next chapter is entitled Joseph dreams a dream. On the wooden table the rush lights were lit and fluttering and the shadows were like jumpy phantoms on the white plaster of the wall. Joseph hurried to his shop. The thought of Mary being there filled him with excitement. After all it had been 3 months since he had last seen her and talked to her. He saw Mary standing before the door and the lambent yellow flames of the candles inside were playing over her face in shivering light by the sportive light only showed clearer to Joseph how much Mary had changed she looked like a phantom of the girl he remembered She was so pale now that she might have been a specter not of the dead but of the living. She whose cheeks had been ripe orchard red with the warmth of health, whose strong arms could swing the household baskets, heavily burdened and take pleasure in their own strength. Whose stride was young and free and full of the energy of the earth. was now a wraith of her former self yet she had grown taller there was a primrose pallor in her skin 
especially the enlarged glow of her eyes, startled Joseph. It summed up the mystical, frightening change in her. Mary, he said. Joseph, she returned the greeting. Peace be with you, and the Lord be with you. Joseph noticed that Mary looked thin and ill and pale. So he asked, Beloved, are you ill? Then Mary replied, Beloved, don't come nearer to me, not just yet. There is something I have to tell you. He stood straight and tall, twisting his cap nervously in knotty fingers, his brow heavily creased. Say it at once, Mary, beloved, whatever it is, I am listening. Then, Joseph, beloved. Yes, he asked. I am with child, said Mary. If the world had broken into two parts and dropped away into bottomless space, her words could not have sounded more unlikely. She had spoken softly. All her talk was soft, with a new and dignified strangeness and sweetness which he noticed vaguely and wondered if, having been away from Galilee, she was losing the country accent of the people, like Samuel. But it was more than that. It was a new and singular dignity in her voice and the remote music of it, the authority in it. Then he thought about what Mary said. Mary with child, Mary pregnant. Joseph stood unmoving. As any man in his place, he started thinking that maybe Mary had been fooling around. Maybe Mary had been going out with another man. Maybe Mary had been unfaithful to him. His fingers stopped playing with the cap. It was a as if he had fallen into a catalepsy. Mary running off, Mary staying away, Mary coming back, Mary with child. He looked so shocked and his face was full of pain that Mary faltered. Joseph, she said, speak to me. She had hoped that some angel had come to Joseph and revealed to him too but no joseph did not get any visitation from any angel and now he was full of pain he's full of hurt he could not believe that his mary could be pregnant then he said but you have not known me he spoke in a far-off whisper i have not known man i have not been with any man. I'm still a virgin, she said. But you say you are with child, he cried, and in his wounded tone was the pain of a man who cannot believe his own anguish. He was full of anguish and pain and heartache. Yes, Joseph, whose child, he groaned. Mary said, trembling, not the child of any man. Her pale face was clear before him. What is this you say? 
and he mumbled her words, repeating them twice over, trying to grasp the incomprehensible. It is from God, she insisted. It is not from man, but from God. The angel Gabriel, who came to Zachariah, came also to me. Elizabeth's Elizabeth's child is born, and he is a man-child, and his name is John, just as the angel declared. And now I am the handmaid of the Lord, and shall be the mother of the promised one. Joseph was shocked. Mary, do you know what you are saying? Yes. If the elders hear you, they will have you put to death, he said. Still it is true, Joseph. Joseph threw his cap to the ground and flung himself after it on a pile of chips and sawdust. Tell me this strange thing, he invited glumly. I shall listen and no more interruptions. Step by step, Mary rehearsed for him the incredible proceedings. From the moment when they had bidden each other good night, she took up the story. The meeting with the stranger on the inner terrace of her home, the annunciation, the folded wings, the vanishing of the angel whom he knew to be Gabriel. She explained why she could not come at once to Joseph, nor to her parents. She felt only Elizabeth would understand, and Elizabeth had understood. In fact, Elizabeth had learned of it all in advance in a dream and had greeted her with the same salutation as the angel. She had remained with her cousin until John was born, had conceived and is pregnant with the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin and she was going to bring a child into the world. And then there was a long silence. This is a lot for Joseph to take. At last, Mary said, You are thinking deep thoughts, Joseph. I am thinking, muttered Joseph, slowly scrambling to his feet. It is a curious thing that no angel came to me. He exhaled a vast and hopeless sigh. His whole world seemed to have dropped from off the ground. Surely I have a right to be shown the truth of this matter, he cried. Am I expected to take this shocking story casually? I have no wish to quarrel. The Lord knows that I have loved you, Mary, with all my mind and all my heart and all my soul. I have no eyes for any other, only you. Since I first saw you, my whole life has been shaped around you. I counted on you. But if this thing has happened, why is it that no angel reassured me? He said incredulously. Is that so unreasonable? Don't I count at all? She wept. It had not occurred to her that he had been neglected by the angel. But it was true. Joseph had only her word for what had happened. And that was a great deal to ask of any man even of Joseph. Have you told your mother, Mary? No, nor father either. I felt I must tell you first, Joseph, she replied. Joseph went to her slowly, and she noticed 
how his shoulders were bowed, how sagging the line of his small golden beard, how stricken his eyes. He was truly broken-hearted. A wave of mothering pity went through her. She wanted to gather him in her arms and croon to him. I must think, said Joseph. Tomorrow we will talk more. Then peace be with you, Joseph, she said, and she slowly went out the door. And the Lord be unto you, Mary, he said after her. He heard the rustle of her mantle as she gathered its folds around her and walked, face toward the starless sky, out of the shop into the Nazareth night. This was a dark night for Joseph. Sleepless he lay, with misery darkening his soul. He tossed back and forth on the straw pallet, groaning in disappointment and grief, beating his fists against the rough walls. He was ready to scream to the top of the city's heights, yes, and to the invisible stars. Tearfully he recited old psalms and prayers, hoping to quiet the storm in his heart. What was it his lovely betrothed asked him to believe? That a virgin was to have a child? Incredible! that she was still as pure and innocent as he had known her to be the day they promised each other to be husband and wife? Can he believe her? She asked him to accept God as the sole father of her son. Then she was asking him to believe something even more irrational, that their son, no, not his son, but hers, was to be the deliverer for which the people had been waiting for thousands of years that Mary was bringing into the world the Messiah. With a shudder, he remembered the Roman songs of the travelers around the campfire. Lord God of hosts, bring peace to my soul. But peace seemed far off. In the gentle soul of Joseph stirred a new possibility a way by which he might escape from this anguish. He might run off with Samuel and join the revolutionary movement and forget Mary and the child, forget by learning how to kill. But these were momentary notions. They were not welcome to Joseph's spirit. He admonished himself. He must be wise and calm in the disaster. He would not raise a scandal there must be no disgrace. Joseph was minded to put away Mary privately. That was by far the best way. Somehow things could be managed without gossip. There was always a way to manage that in Nazareth as everywhere else in the world. So as an honorable man, he decided that he will not demean her. He will put her away quietly and he would live with the pain and heartbreak as best as he could.